If you remain standing now as we read God's word together, these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Let us read these words together. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our series tonight, our FOMO, our series on the fear of missing out. Uh, This is a legitimate thing in our world today uh, that many uh, social psychologists and analysts have studied and talked about our legitimate fear of missing out. Um, It it afflicts uh, many millennials, my generation, but I have a feeling that it afflicts really many people today. Uh, that, that most of us, if we were being honest, have this FOMO, have this fear of missing out in one way or another. And so I, I, I want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking with you today about a specific uh, piece of FOMO. And, and I think that we really experience this, this fear of missing out especially when it comes to money, that I think FOMO has the ability to take our life, especially when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff. We we seem to fear missing out more than anything else, especially when it comes to stuff. And, And this can really take our life from us. We have an ability to lose our life to this fear of missing out when it comes to our stuff, and, and, and I think one of the ways that this happens is because of our abundance of choices. I, I don't know if you've noticed in our world today, but we really have too many options. H- have you noticed this? We really, we have too many options. There was um, a writer by the name of Barry Schwartz who wrote this in The Paradox of Choice. He says, when we are given too many choices, two things happen. He says, we experience paralysis not liberation, and we become less satisfied with our choices. This is what happens, especially in the United States, whenever we have abundant resources, we have abundant choices, and then we experience this paralysis and less satisfaction with the thing that we have actually chosen. I've actually experienced this. I don't know about you, um, but I have definitely had this happen in my life. Um, I, I had a, a birthday last June, and uh, for my birthday, I, I got a gift card, and, and so I started to think about things that I actually needed or wanted, right? And, and I thought, you know, I, I used my phone too much in my car. I know you're not supposed to do that, and so uh, the thing I was going to do is buy a phone stand for my car, right? Something you can mount in your car, you can put your phone in it, and you won't ever touch it again, 
right? You're driving around, you can put your phone in there. And so I got online and started to search for these phone stands. Um, And and one of the first places I went uh, online was to the Walmart website and searched phone stands. Um, And and when I did, something happened. I don't know if you can tell by this picture, but when I searched for phone stands, I I got this result uh, showing 20 of 1,491 results for phone stands. Friends, that's too many phone stands, right? That's too many options. That's too many choices. And and, and so I experienced this paralysis. I I experienced this just kind of lack of ability to choose. I spent days combing through all of these pages of these different mounts and and the way these things worked and, 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 and which one was better for this kind of car and all these different things. I experienced this paralysis. Have you seen this? You, maybe you've lived through this, this kind of paralysis, and then, and then finally I chose one, right? Finally, I, you know, I just kind of had to like close my eyes and click a button and finally order it and say, you know what, this is the thing I'm going with, and, and maybe there's something better out there, but this is the one I'm going to stick with, right? And, and, and then what happens whenever we choose these things, when we have an abundance of choices and we choose something, when we're not 100% satisfied, Right, and, and we will never be 100% satisfied with any of our choices, but when we're not 100% satisfied with our choice, anytime something, just little thing happens, we look back on all of those options that we had. Right, we look back on, on all of those other choices and think maybe there was this perfect one out there. Maybe there was this, this perfect option for me and I didn't choose it. And then this fear begins to develop within us right? This angst. Maybe you've known it as buyer's remorse, but it's really this fear of missing out on some option, this perfect choice that you could have had in your life, but you missed out. And then what do we do to cope with this fear? What what do we do whenever whenever we have something we're not 100% satisfied? When we're not satisfied with our stuff, we go and we buy more stuff, right? Trying to find that that perfect thing out there that was for us, trying to find that, that perfect option. And then what do we do with all the stuff we have? We store it, right? It, get, it gets pushed into the corners of our homes, into our closets, into our attic, into our garage. And then finally, where does it go but to off-site storage, right? You ever, you ever put something in off-site storage? Maybe you just remembered you had off-site storage and you've wondered how long it's, it's been there. Right? We, we put our stuff in, in off-site storage, and, and it maybe stays there forever. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, because we have so many options. We have so many things to choose from. We get so much stuff, and we can't simply store it where we live, so we have to put it somewhere. And, and really, this fear of missing out has really developed into this abundance of off-site storage. That, that right now in the United States, there is more than 2.3 billion square feet of offsite storage. 2.3 billion with a B, billion square feet of offsite storage. That is, enough, that is enough offsite storage for every person in the United States to stay in offsite storage. That this is truly a pandemic in the United States that we have so much stuff that we can't store it in our homes. We have to put it somewhere. And, and, and we have to put it somewhere because we're so afraid of missing out, friends. 
simply because we're afraid of missing out, and this has an ability to steal our life from us. If we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, this can steal our life that we can turn around and look back and realize that everything we've strived for has been all for naught. This is the very thing that Jesus tried to address in the passage that we read about. That Jesus tells the parable of a rich farmer, and this entire story, this entire parable is prompted by a person asking Jesus a question about this fear of missing out. Right? This person approaches Jesus in the crowd, and he says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. In the time of Jesus, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy stipulated that the eldest brother, the, eld, the eldest male of the family, would receive a double portion of the inheritance. That that person would receive double than the other male siblings. Right? And, and this isn't fair. This isn't fair, the younger says. And so he says, tell my, my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This man asked Jesus to play the role of judge. And to be honest, this isn't odd. This isn't strange. In fact, in the time of Jesus, many religious leaders did this. We were as far back as the time of Moses. In the book of Exodus, Moses played judge for the people. They would come to him and they would seek counsel and, and Moses would give them a ruling. And then the, the people of Israel got so large that Moses couldn't do it himself. And so he appointed other people to play the role of judge. And this is what religious leaders did in the time of Jesus. And so when the man comes to Jesus and he asks for a ruling, he's actually recognizing Jesus as a religious leader. But Jesus rejects that. Jesus rejects the role, and, and I think he's not rejecting the role of religious leader, he's rejecting the role of judge because he's rejecting the man's greed. He's rejecting the man's greed. He realizes there is no right decision that Jesus can make. There is no right decision because it's all about money. The, the eldest brother has received a double portion of the inheritance, and that's not fair. But it's only not fair if you're concerned about money. Jesus rejects the role of judge because he rejects greed. And then he begins to tell the story. We call them parables. And Jesus said, The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now we noticed a few things about this person, right? At the very beginning of the story, we read that this is already a rich man who then gets an abundant crop. This is already a rich man, which means he is not the one doing the harvesting, Right? He's not the one going out early in the morning and picking the grain. He, he's not the one threshing the weed. He's not the one working. He's the one who has workers who work for him. 
right? This is already a rich man, and then he gets an abundant crop. Then he gets this thing, and he begins to think to himself, what should I do with all of this that I now have? He decides to tear down his barns and build larger ones, build bigger ones. But notice what the farmer doesn't do, right? Notice what the farmer did not do in the story. One of the things he did not do is distribute the abundance to his employees, right? He has people who work for him. There are many workers, I'm sure, in this story that work for him. And one of the things he did not do is make sure that these people see this distribution of wealth. Another thing that he did not do is consult with friends or family. In fact, the entire time he speaks in first person. What will I do? Well, I will build larger barns. I will tear down my old ones and I will build bigger ones. He consults with himself. Have you ever done that? You ever consulted with yourself? And and you realize how flawed logic can happen in those consultations with yourself and it can repeat over and over and over again? That by the time you end a conversation with yourself, you've justified just about anything you've wanted to in your own mind? This man doesn't consult friends or family. He decides to talk to himself. And another thing the man does not do is thank or acknowledge God for the harvest. The man was already rich, he was already wealthy, which in the time of Jesus was viewed as a blessing from God. If you had an abundance of wealth, you were viewed to have an abundance of blessing from God. And if you didn't have any wealth, then, well, you weren't blessed by God. Jesus says, here's a man who, who is clearly blessed by God. He's already rich, and then he gets even more. And what does he do but have a conversation with himself and not even consider God in the entire process? This is what happens when we begin to speak to ourselves, when we begin to justify our own means to ourselves. We forget our friends, our family, even God in the process. And then the farmer says to himself, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now this man is looking forward to retirement. He's looking forward to taking it easy, right? But he's not just looking forward to retirement from work, but really retirement from life. In fact, he's looking forward to this kind of retirement. I don't want to. I don't have to. You can't make me. I'm retired. Right? Anybody else kind of looking forward to that kind of retirement? This, this kind of, not just retirement from work. Not, not this retirement from my job where, where I don't have to, you know, do a nine to five every day, but really looking forward to this retirement from life where I can unplug and disengage from the world around me. This is what the man was looking forward to. And many Christians know that this kind of life is antithetical to the teaching of Christ. Now, we know that we should retire from work. 
but never from our faith. It's good for you to retire from your work, and, and you should, and, and, and as Christians, you should be saving for that and making preparations to do that very thing, but we should know, friends, we should know with absolute certainty that we will never retire from our faith. We will never cease striving toward the person of Christ. This is uh, what John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, called Christian perfection. He said that, that once Christians were justified, once they were baptized and began the Christian walk, they were on the way to perfection. Because they were on the way to being like Christ, who was perfect. And, and we should be striving toward that very thing. And, and we should be working every day to be a little bit closer to Jesus. Just a little bit closer to the person who Christ was. Even if it seems impossible, it's only possible because Christ who lives in us. But we should work and make steps every day to do that very thing. As Paul writes in, in his letter to the church in Philippi, he, he says this, that not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, friends, this is the call of all Christians. We are called to be holy as God is holy. And when we at first hear that, we think that means to have all the right actions, to, to, to have all the right do's and, and you know, the, the wrong don'ts, to, to do all the right things, to check off this list. But if we begin to understand who Jesus is, if we begin to understand the person of Jesus Christ, we learn that Christian perfection is perfectly giving up control to God. perfectly giving everything we have to the pleasure and disposal of God who gave it to us in the first place. And to live the kind of life that Christ lived on this earth. That's something we never retire from. That's something we never cease striving for, friends. And it's what the farmer, it's what's this, what this rich man forgot. Jesus finishes the story and says, after this rich man has stored everything, after he's torn down his barns and built bigger ones, after he's laid up his life and said to himself, eat, drink, and be merry, God said to him, you fool. You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. 
that when we first hear this story, we can kind of think that this is a harsh punishment. Right? I mean, there was this, this wealthy man who we might believe was hardworking, right? And that may, maybe he worked really hard to get where he was, and then he has an abundant crop. And then he has this, this abundant harvest that, that maybe he worked hard to get, and, and whenever he receives it, what does he do? But, but, you know, tear down his barns and build bigger ones. That maybe we could view this as prudence. This was wise to do. But God comes in and calls him a fool. That, that we can be kind of confused by by these words of God, by this condemnation, but I I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. I think there were a couple of reasons why this man received this punishment. And one of them was because he was afraid of missing out on the wrong thing. That he was afraid of missing out on stuff, on the crop, on money. In the end, he was afraid of missing out on money. And, and here's the thing that we know about our wealth, about our money, is that money is always about more than money. Any time it comes to our money, anytime we start talking about it, there's always more to that conversation than just about ones and zeros. That our money is our strength. It's our power. It's what gives us the ability to have this home and this neighborhood, to live in this place over that place, to be in this school district or that school district. That our money is our strength. The reason the man received this condemnation was because he was afraid of missing out on his money. And instead of missing out on the kingdom of God. I think another reason this man received this condemnation is because he was an almost Christian. He was an almost Christian. Maybe you've heard me talk about this in the past, but there's this category that, that John Wesley believed existed in Christianity, these people known as almost Christians. Almost Christians were those people you could confuse as Christians. Those people who who lived good lives. Those, Those people who were decent and nice and who did things for other people. But their lives were not transformed by the resurrection of Christ. Their lives were not different because Christ came and died and rose again. That we are called to be people who are not just nice. We are called to be people who are not just kind to our neighbors and and who not just give a little here, do something okay for that person there, but we are called to be people who are radically transformed because Christ died for us.
And because Christ came and and gave his life for us, we are called to turn and give our lives for others. To be willing to even lay down our very lives for another person. This is what it means, Wesley said, to be an altogether Christian. To be one who is transformed by the resurrection of Christ. And I believe it's something that we are called to do. Because we can fear missing out of a lot of different things. And in our lives today, we have many options, many things to fear to miss out on. We can fear to miss out on money. And whenever we do that, whenever we live a life like that, we will truly lose our life. It's what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. He said that no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus didn't say that you couldn't have both, but you can't serve both. That in our lives, we can only fear to miss out on one thing. In our lives, we can only fear to miss out on one thing. Will it be our stuff? Will it be our things? Will it be our money? Or will we fear to miss out on the kingdom of God? Well, we fear to miss out on the kingdom of God, and, and, and not just in this eternal kind of way, not just in this afterlife somewhere out there kind of way, but we fear to miss out on the kingdom of God right here and now. Well, we fear that we miss an opportunity to bring God's kingdom on this earth, because those are the people that will change the world. And, and so your action steps for, for this week, one of them is to evaluate your wealth and stuff. And, and I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that's, you know, just cleaning out the attic and the garage and, and, and getting rid of those things that you don't need. You know, because I have a feeling there's a lot of stuff in, in our storage that other people desperately need. There's stuff that that we don't need that other people are yearning for, and and we can give it up. That's an easy thing to do. Or maybe there's another way that we can evaluate our wealth and stuff. And then I would also encourage you to evaluate your wealth in God. Evaluate your wealth in God. Consider how much time in your home you spend talking about money and how much time you spend talking about God. Evaluate your life not by how much you make, but by how much you give. 
Because building bigger barns won't change the world. That if we just spend our lives trying to accrue as much stuff as possible, it wouldn't change the world. We would just be like everyone else. We would just be like all the other almost Christians. But what if we truly evaluated our life in a different way? What if we evaluated our life by being a living sacrifice? There's a story of a man in Santa Ana, California. He was interviewed just moments after his home had been engulfed in flames in one of the many wildfires in California. And as this man was being interviewed, he was asked to consider that all of his possessions had been engulfed in flames, that the only possessions he had was the clothes on his body. That in those moments, he was able to say, I am finally free. I am finally free. May we be so free.